This is Market Call. As I mentioned, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Uh, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, EY from SoFi. Big timing. Us. Ghosting us. Is that, Ghosting uh, us, as go, the kids ghosting say. Ghosting us? Yeah. That means she's just not re returning our not calls. Not returning our calls. It's funny. We had a call earlier, and at the end of the call, this guy's like, before you go, I just want to tell you, say hello to Elizabeth ah, Young. It was from, amazing. I'm like, stop it. Yeah. Everybody I was getting us all tuned up here. Everybody knows from you. So you're tuned up about the Yankees. They, they no, have, not they, not they won a series. At all. They won a series. Butters today. We got Butters. We don't have Liz, but we do have CBW. Yeah, that would do. be Carter Braxtonworth. But this market call brought yeah. to you by FactSet. Yeah. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. It's and of that. course, SoFi, Dan, despite the fact that Elizabeth is not here, get your money right all in one app. You know, it's funny. You know what you're powered by right now? Last night, not by tomorrow. So last, last night, yeah. Guy Adami, who has this, I, I say this all the time. You know, people ask me, you know, what is Guy Adami like? You know, you spend a lot not of time very, with him. Not particularly I said, you know, every once in a while, you know, people say, what does he do for fun? Uh, you know, he rags on Mets fans. That, that, that's that, fun. That's, that's actually sport. But you have an like, odd relationship with the concept of fun. Yeah. You don't like to treat yourself to fun. I don't. You know, I don't you know, think I'm entitled to be have fun. Okay. And, and, no, and it's again, actually true. I know. And, 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 you know, and to that end, yeah. like, I'm in pain. A lot of the time, Correct. physical pain. I mean, I don't really talk about it because it shows that you, it makes no, 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 you know no, no. that but you're like, alive. Because I, well, that's true. If you're in pain, you, you know you're that. not dead. Correct. I mean, that's the old. But thing from, when you were in joy, shit, wait, 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 well, here's the other thing: when you're experiencing joy, you also know that you're not dead. Last night, you were out in the yeah. Meadowlands, sure, in New Jersey, in in the swamps, swamps of, Jersey, of Jersey, as somebody would say. Yeah, well, that would be Bruce Springsteen. That would be Bruce Springsteen, and you were watching. You were one of what. 80,000 people. It was crazy. I mean, and it was insane. Did getting you do, into that did you do, did you get your fist pump on? I'm not, I'm not I'm a, really a fist pump really? person. But like out in no, I don't, jungle. No. Yeah. I don't know they play. Land. Listen, Bruce, you don't do that. No, Bruce at 73 is still kicking. All right. What about this? Ass. Did you get hands in the air during your, your favorite easily? Uh, and this I is, you know, I don't know if this is on your bingo card. Backstreets. When he back plays Backstreets, back you didn't have your, your fist back in the air. Backstreets is the best Bruce Springsteen song. One of the best. Followed closely by Thunder Road. I mean, we can go down this list. She He played She's the One last night. That's I mean, he We named a podcast She's the One. After Elizabeth Young. Yes. Now everybody's... To, for the folks that are still with us, hello. <laughs> but yes, I was I was at Bruce Springsteen last night. Here's a here's like a baller move. Yeah. So his encores... By the way, Bruce doesn't leave stage. Nope. And he hangs out. Yeah. Because he... I mean, everybody knows. I think he plays like five songs. Yeah. For an encore, Dancing in the Dark is one of them, which is a shitty song. But anyway, at the third after the third encore, and Beth's like, "All right, we got to go." That's your pal that you yeah. were with. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what, AB? You're you know right. what he does though? He actually the last song of the encore because I've seen him three times on this tour. He goes out just him, his acoustic guitar, and he plays "I'll See You in My Dreams." It's like a nice way to kind of end the night. The, yeah. Problem is, of course, if you're out there with the other eighty thousand dipshits that are trying to get out of the Meadowlands. Yep. That gets a little dicey. That place sucks. So we got in the car, and this is not exaggeration. We got in the car at 10.55. might have been 11 o'clock. Yeah. I was home by 11.38. Wow. Now, if we had stuck around, yeah. I might not have made it to market call. So tonight. I haven't gone back to the Meadowlands. I saw you two in 2017, two nights in a row. They did the 30th year anniversary of the Joshua Tree. They played it cover to cover. It was awesome. But I've seen so many shows over the years. I've seen the boss there at the Meadowlands mm -hmm. probably 10 or 15 times. Uh, I'm just out. I'm out on the Meadowlands. I live in the city. All right, let's get to this because we have Carter Braxton Worth here. We told him we we're going to get He's him waiting. in and we're going to get him out. And he had to listen to our baseball talk. He had to listen to Springsteen. Hey, Carter, you and I. I was just, that's what I was going to say. The last time I saw Springsteen was with you. 
That was awesome. That was we, awesome. We have a ball. Of course. And, and uh, also, you know, I'm partial to the garden, of course. So then there's of that. We had that, we had that. We, we, we had that. Like 20 ounce Bud Lights yeah, in there. Yeah, Carter yeah. was not all like you. You were probably all knotted up. Carter actually had a shirt without a collar on. Stop it. Now, man, he had a collar. <laughs> uh, but we had, we, had, we had a great time. All right, we Carter, did, we, we promised you this is our last summer edition of Market Call. That's right. Uh, you're coming back into the city soon enough. We know that you've been doing lots of duty with all those kids and all the stuff that you do for work charting. So we're going to make it easy for you today. Let's talk a little bit about, just get your sense before we get to some charts here. Get your sense about this month of August, okay? Um, you know, everything seemed to have been pointing to last week, Jackson Hole on Friday, NVIDIA, you know, Wednesday night, that sort of thing. Well, here we are. We're rallying kind of nicely out of all those events here. NVIDIA, after selling off 10 12% from those highs, post its earnings call is just, you know, come back and made new highs here. Uh, yields that come in a little bit. S&P feels like it's back on its horse here. What are you most focused on as we go into September? We did yields on Tuesday's market call and you think lower, but right now, and Guy and I were just talking about this before, right now, at least equity investors are saying the two-year under 5%, right? Mm -hmm. And the 10-year at about four or so percent is okay for stocks. Right. I mean, you know, the, the the experience that each of us has or anyone has is, of course, where one starts the story. Right. You uh, where the narrative begins, where you turn the meter on. There are people who have uh, made massive commitments at the lows of October and now almost a year later have had a very happy experience. There are people who don't move things around a lot and are thinking, wait a minute, the equity market, as measured by the S&P 500, is unchanged for two years. I could have just been in the money market and earning a handsome return and uh, so forth and so on. Um, if one bought uh, you know, treasuries uh, four or five days ago, uh, all looking good. If one sold them, what a disaster as yields have come in. So it's always about the time frame and when one has committed capital to anything, playing for an earnings pop or drop because of a news event or an FDA approval, or again, having exposure in and out, long, short, and constantly navigating. But what we know is this, that there has been this uh, knee-jerk uh, reaction to uh, yields uh, coming in, and uh, equities have popped in response to that for all intents and purposes. The, the real question is, and it's always this strange narrative, is bad news good for the market, good news mm -hmm. bad for the market, and, and it's ever thus. Uh, ultimately, uh, the, the the notion, and this is the part that is never squared off, right? You can't, the notion that that 10 year money at 3.4% or 4.1% should affect the multiple assigned to cash flow anticipated or guessed cash flow two to three years out is preposterous. Yes, if 10 year yields are seven, eight percent, that changes thing or one. But basically, 10 year yields are the same level as they were a year ago, essentially in the autumn uh, uh, of uh, 2022. And yet the market is so fickle as to assign a different um, multiple to Apple or Amazon or QQQ because of any 20 or 30 base point move in the 10 year. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but that is the that is the circumstance we find ourselves in. That's the mechanism without question. And the, 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 I guess the longer conversation enough for the show necessarily is what does it mean? The yields going lower, what is it telling you? Like, is it positive for equities? On the knee jerk, I get it, it is, but why are they going lower? To your point, Carter, they've been going lower because one, technically they got to a level, but two, almost as important, 
the fundamentals surrounding them suggest that they should be lowered. And when you have bad data, at some point, bad data will have an impact on the equity market. But we'll have another conversation another time. You brought, see, you're not just a U.S. guy, Carter. You're like a world dude. I mean, you, you look at everything. And you brought with us some charts to illustrate exactly that. It's like a world index. I mean, Carter Braxton Worth, the W is, in fact, for world as well. <laughs> CBW, like Lloyd B. Free, well, it's Carter B. World. So talk to us about these charts. Yeah, I, I thought just to change it up a little bit, we could talk uh, sort of equities globally. Now, obviously, one could look at the DAX in Germany or look at the Nikkei, but I thought we would look at, there is an index, right? It's the MSCI All Country World Index. So just to put this in perspective, um, this is 3,000 stocks from 48 countries, 24 developed and sort of 24 emerging uh, markets. And its market cap is about 65, 67 trillion versus the S&P at, at 37, 38. So this is the whole shooting match. And what I've tried to do is go back as far as possible to find a level that's identical to the current level. And as you'll see there, that's more than two years. You're talking about almost two and a half years. Equities as an asset class uh, measured by the MSA, all country are unch. But let's look at the experience over the last two and a half years. So the first uh, next iteration, what we know is we have a nice sort of 10% move. And then if we look at the next iteration, of course, we have a 20% drop. Now, a 20% drop from the starting point, more like 30 from the high. And then put one more in, we've recovered, of course, now almost 30% back to unch. And so this then begs the question, all equities as an asset class have not been worth the risk, right? So if one is in this aggregate, this theme, this asset class, all equities, and has had no progress, no return, uh, dividends aside, for two and a half years. One has not been compensated for the risk to have been in the asset in the first place, which is say the max gain is 10%, the max loss is 20, all to get to unch. And 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 then that one could say, okay, great, but from here, what? It really is a pair of two. So let's look at the next chart or two. There is the very well-defined, mathematically precise channel in which we've been ascending since the mid-October low of a year ago. And then one more, just to put it in, we're sitting here in the lower band. Uh, this doesn't feel like it has a lot of oomph to me or torque or or really uh, any sort of tension to move higher. And frankly, it doesn't have to really give ground. It kind of, and this is the interesting, it might be just where it belongs, right? That this is sort of a fair price and that it, it will do nothing unless and until the next thing comes along um, to, to move it higher uh, or lower. But my hunch is that the, the equities really right here, if you were to take them in aggregate, really aren't that interesting. Not to say that talking about them is not important and to trying to figure them out is very interesting important, but they're not at a particularly interesting or dynamic or telling level. Yeah, so so one thing that could happen to move it along would be a little more than than half of the weight of that would be the U.S. market, right? If we look at like all all U.S. stocks, the S and P mm -hmm. is what you said thirty six, thirty seven, or something like that. So when you think about that, all right, there you go, thank you. Um, when you think about this, let's let's pull up. We have an S and P chart really quickly here, Carter, and um, you know, we got that bounce off that forty three fifty breakout level um in the S and P five hundred. We know that forty six hundred um was that prior high that we had um in July. And if these guys can pull up maybe, you know, a multiple year chart, maybe a five year chart or so, we know that 4,800 was the high in uh, January of 2022. You know, listen, God, if we get back through 
or towards this 4,600. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it seem like there's probably a good shot by the year end, assuming that there's nothing horrible that happens, that we're going to make a run at that prior all-time high? I'm just saying, guy, I'd love to get your take on that, just the psychology of it. Let's just say there's nothing, no geopolitical disaster. Right. Um, let's just say the data weakens not to a point where it alarms people that growth is falling off a cliff, but doing exactly what the Fed had right. hoped it would do, would moderate a little bit. And then if yields are coming in with that, isn't there a scenario that, you know, the S&P is up so much already, the NASDAQ's up, they just rip them. People start to chase with each passing month. Obviously, that gets later in the year. If people are behind the curve, they will chase to try to sort of catch up. I mean, we've seen that time and time again. Under the scenario that you just outlined, I think Carter would say this as well. Yes, that's absolutely feasible and probably a very um, predictable outcome. But a lot of things have to continue to happen. That slow sort of grind lower in things has to continue to happen in sort of a linear way as opposed to potentially an, an exponential way. I mean, we'll see. I mean, all, none of the geopolitical things will come to fruition. You're not going to see an earnings blow up. I mean, you're not going to see a reacceleration of inflation under these scenarios. So a lot of things have to go right at these levels yeah. in order for the market to continue. This doesn't mean it can't happen. And right now it suggests that it will. But I think the the likelihood of that, Carter, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is probably a one in four, one in five. I would say that's fair. I mean, I, I was putting my glass up because I was going to read something. So this was from a, a client yesterday. This is a long short player, funds about 13 billion, and it's um, from the person who runs it and has a big chunk of the money. Not quite a household name, but real close. Been at it forever. And he goes, Highest rates in decades, highest deficit ever, most geopolitical risks since the Cuban Missile Crisis, worst mm -hmm. candidates for president in 200 years, amongst the most expensive stock market valuation ever. And yet, this market cannot go down. It just can't happen, wink. Meaning, <laughs> the truth is, you know, it, look how fickle it all is. Just two weeks ago, consensus on Wall Street for rates was that it's higher for longer. Literally. And now, oh, soft landing, the Fed's, the Fed's done. Uh, it, it all changes very, it doesn't take much to get things moving up and out, uh, perhaps uh, higher, or quite the opposite. Something that's, we're in a seasonally weak period, of course. We know August is come and gone, and it, it's we get September, October to also to some extent. And then there is also the phenomenon of year end, um, you know, sort of uh, run it, uh, run it and pump it and so forth. So we shall see. Um, but there's no real catalyst day to day other than something that's unknown or unseen. A force majeure, right? Uh, something out of nowhere. Look at that little French. By the way, everything that he stated, that client, and you can, is fact. I mean, you can make the opinion argument about the candidates, although it's probably pretty close to being factual. But everything that he stated in those, in, in that thing that you rattle off, those bullet points are all factual things. And what uh, what is also fact is, for whatever reason, at forty six hundred, wherever we are, forty five, the market doesn't seem to care at all. And it's going to be interesting to see what makes it care, I guess, to your point about, you know, external factors and force majeure. Well, it's funny. You know, I was listening. You know, not only do we create podcasts, but I also listen to podcasts. No, I was listening really? to my friend Molly John Fast. She had a reporter on. Great, great, great interview, actually, with a guy 
uh, and I'm gonna I'm spacing his name, but hopefully I'll get it. Um, yesterday he was on NPR, and he's a, a markets guy and an economist. It was a really good conversation, but he he kept on using that term Minsky moment. I know our friend Doug Cass writes about Minsky moments, um, kind of quite often. And and if you're just looking at this uh, on the Google machine, Minsky moment refers to the onset of a market collapse brought on by a reckless speculative activity that defines an unsustainable bullish period. And and there's other ways that I think describe it. Some people Carter will use it sort of differently, but basically. The way that I've always thought about it is, you know, we have these periods of complacency. We have these periods where risk assets just move higher because of it. And then the longer that goes on, you know, some of the, the, the risk taking becomes a little bit more speculative mm -hmm. out there. And then all of a sudden you just have this moment and no one can figure out why things are coming undone a little bit. Right. And so I think that's really what this 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 journalist was speaking to. And he did it really eloquently. You know, we'll we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes here. If you listen, it's by audio. the way, Jacob texted us. Yeah. Robin. Farzad or yes. Farad? Yes, he was great. And, and, and Molly, who's a friend of both of ours, um, she she's got some serious chops when it comes to like markets and and and, and uh, economics and stuff like that. So um, I just thought that was interesting, Carter. I don't know. I, I know that you don't spend a lot of time thinking of things like Minsky moments uh, here nor there, um, but you know it is what it is. I um, mean, yeah, they're they're collapse. You know, or, or you know, structural collapse. Think about a bridge or anything, or that like I went I went broke slowly and then. Uh, very quickly at the end. I mean, we know that there is that they're they're unidentifiable to some extent. Uh, there are some warnings, you know, little sounds. But um, the concept of a Minsky moment is is also something that you see in 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 the natural world, right? In, in physics and so forth. So, uh, but you can't predict them. It's what black swans are all, all about, right? Hard to know, and yet they are always out there. Um, I, I guess at the end of the day, and the, the, look, there's a lot of bullishness now. But guess what? Uh, on the first days of January uh, 2022, yeah. before we dropped 37%, all mm -hmm. of Wall Street was bullish. You know, Wall Street is always bullish. That's how it works because no one wants to hear. Remember, it's called the sell side for a reason. They're selling stuff to you. <laughs> I mean, just to be clear, <laughs> they're unloading equities. They bring things public and unload the shares, often on the unsuspecting public. And uh, there you have it. Look at all the SPACs. How do those do? I mean, the point is, right, that you, no one's paid to be bearish because no one wants to hear it. It's always a wet blanket. Well, come on, give it up. So most people are inherently bullish. It's the optimism of optimism America or the optimism of, of what the sell side is all about. Um, but um, we have a circumstance where, yet again, there's a lot of bullishness. But it's uh, the truth remains, equities are down from their peak almost two years ago. And the MSA, all-country world index, really depicts that. Carter, I'm going to stay with the French theme since you brought up force majeure. I will bid you adieu. It's been great. It's been a great summer with you. The next time we see or hear from you uh, will be in September, which is, you know, it's amazing how the even the weather, everything turns. a little little crisper out there. I'm sure out where you are. By the way, I got to tell you something. Carter can listen to this. Last night, it could have been like 88, sweltering, humid. Yeah. It was a beautiful evening yeah. at the Meadowlands. Yeah. Full moon, the whole thing. Yeah, the full moon was cool. It's tremendous. Anyway, sorry it was, a, it was right. a be well, guys. Moon or so. All right, see you, bud. Thank you, Carter. Oh, um, Carter you know, it's interesting. I love when he uses that expression every so often about the sell side. We're on the pod side of things. You know what I mean? You people see what we're want, doing? Listen, people, I understand that <laughs> yeah. people are... They want to be optimistic. I get it. Most people, the majority of people, more than 99%, if you think about it, yeah. are long stocks. So they have a vested interest in things going higher. To a certain extent, I'm not saying it's easy, but the 
the cop-out way to do these things would just be perma, just bullish about everything all the time. If things go down, buy the dip, buy the dip, buy the dip, buy the dip. You don't really service. You're not doing anybody any favors. No to favor. try to show the counter is sort of the, what can go wrong in the context of being bullish about other things around the edges, which we have been. I mean, we're not, we don't say go out and sell everything. You know, you just have to sort of take well, it all. We, we had this conversation, I think, earlier on the market call this week. We talked about somebody said, "Are you guys going to, you know, change your tune on the broad market?" Or are you like, try to like Burgess, Med no, Burgess no, Meredith, right. Rocky. But too. My, my point is, is like, you know, in that actual show, in that market call, we talked about a couple different ways to make sure. money on the long side, buying something that doesn't actually have to correspond with equities going down. I guess part of my mentality here right now, guy, is like. You know, it just, I, I, I can't see the thing. I can't predict the thing that's going to cause it to happen unless we just had, you know, a, a global growth scare of mm -hmm. epic sort of proportion. And that would be the thing that would sort of weigh um, on equities here. But it just doesn't feel like we just got done, you know, with Q2 earnings for the most part. And um, it just doesn't seem like that's happening anytime soon. And, and I really feel like, you know, What's going to happen is at some point we'll have a proper, you know, five to 10% sell off. And at that point, there'll be a bit of a moment of truth, whether people are looking at all of the things that mm -hmm. Carter, that email just, you know, referenced and that you acknowledge. And we look at the multiple and we think about the gross prospects and then we start thinking about these things that, you know, um, might cause a hiccup, right, to to valuations or, or growth or global growth, that sort of thing. But right now, it just doesn't seem like people want to see it or hear it. And, and that's fine. So let's continue to figure out how to make money long and short of this market. I think that's actually one of the unique things that we are able to do here because we can be a little bit nuanced here, you know. And listen, we're not market strategists. You know, I, I don't, you know, you and I got a little cute. This is one thing. If I think back to last fall, Okay. Neither one of us was really bearish on stocks. Okay. In October of 2022, when we almost, you and I both thought the S&P would get back to 3,400, mm -hmm. which is the pre-pandemic high. Where did it get to in October intraday? It got to like 3,450 or something like that. And we both higher, a little higher, a little higher. Yeah. Was it, was it 3,600 yeah, or something yeah. like that? Okay. And then both of us kind of just stuck to our guns. We said, okay, things got a little compressed there okay and then after we had a 10 percent rally we got back on the negative horse but what we were wrong about for the most part was wrong about the potential for a recession to start in that sort of period and therefore we stuck to our market guns does that make sense but we almost got back to where we thought we would the the lag is what's i well i mean talking about a lag effect i mean it hasn't we haven't had the effect part yet because yeah. it's been we've been this permanent lag but it doesn't mean it's not coming to a theater near you so that's what i think yes we got wrong in terms of when it would kick in and what impact it would have on the market you brought up earnings but speaking of earnings let's take a look at broadcom avago yeah i love avago. saying that i mean reports tonight after the close they do and this stock has been um on fire we'll throw a chart your way and you'll see we're right up against it now you had a huge ridiculous move to the upside that was on the back of nvidia if you go back and yeah. look at that initial spike higher then it gave it i don't know a little bit of it back it went from basically 900 to 800 in in almost like a few trading days and now we're right back there valuation probably trades at 21 times ish next year's numbers you don't really have the earnings growth to support that. What you have is a lot of momentum and you have a lot of um, excitement about the space and about their prospects. So the question you have to ask yourself is, are we going to go blowing through this level to the upside, which seems reasonable given what we've seen out of a lot of these names, or does, do we put in a pretty decent top here and will we go back and look at the trend line that you drew, which basically 
that doesn't necessarily correspond with the moving average, but you understand what I'm looking at here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We talk about implied moves all the time. So this is about, I think, a little more than 4% or so. When you think about that, if you're looking to maybe hedge a long position or make an outright bearish position or whatever, like we're really taking the implied move is, is the at-the-money weekly straddle, okay, which this is a one-day straddle. So that would be the call premium plus the put premium and put that together and then you divide by the stock price and you get about four percent so if you want to make a one day directional sort of bet that broadcom is either going to bust out on its way to a thousand or it's going to break down on its way back towards 800 you know you're you can risk two percent by buying an at the money call or put to do that it seems like a bit of a toss-up here like as far as i'm concerned especially after um the way nvidia acted i will say though that there's some Software stocks acting pretty well today, guy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw the Salesforce. The Salesforce, although I haven't looked at it over the last ten minutes, three percent or so was up big in the after hours yesterday. I don't think it 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 got the entire move, but that does. My point, yes, it's up, but I don't think it was up to the magnitude it was right after their release. Yeah, no. So, um, and you know, Okta's up uh, more than ten percent. I think there was one other name that is escaping me at the moment, which is also having um, a big day. So, listen, investors want to buy the things where they see perceived growth, Mm -hmm. and they see, you know, they're not really particularly worried. I think about um, valuations at the moment here. So, you know, it is what it is. Let's look at another name on valuation though that reports after the close. This is Lulu, and this one's kind of interesting. Also, it's banging up against the level gear guy. You know, six percent implied move in either direction. Um, the stock has had some massive earnings gap. I mean, just look at those. Look at that chart right there. So going back to December, mm-hmm. that huge decline from I think that was an all time high. Then it got it all back on the next earnings gap. Then there was another gap higher. So here we are. Um, this went a little tougher, though, because we have a Nike chart. I just kind of wanted to show this one. Nike's not going to report um, until next month. But this stock has acted horrible. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you, th- you can probably throw Starbucks in that mix. It's not yeah. dissimilar. I mean, yeah. Nike, the pr- you know, it's one. It's funny. Nike was one of those stocks where nobody cared about valuation, and all of a sudden, seemingly overnight, people started to look at valuation. And so, the historical premium they get, they're not sort of getting right now. Now, Tim Seymour's been short the stock on fat. You know, he talks about it on Fast Money. I thought it could get into the low 90s, and we got damn close. I think a few days or so ago, I think we got to about 95. The, the question is, is that enough? Um, but it's not. That's not what we're here to talk about. Go back to Lululemon. You know, this is a stock that probably trades 28 times next year's numbers-ish, which is not unreasonable given sort of the growth trajectory they had. The question is, is that growth going to continue? I mean, therefore, it's amazing. You look at the sort of the mix from when it started to where it is now. I don't know exactly, but it's almost 50-50 men's and women's stuff, which is good for them, by the way. And it's it's Mm -hmm. been that that's been the trajectory, that's been the trend. And the margins are very good. Of course, the question is, do you still have the growth rate? And I can't answer that right here. I look at this quite honestly and say, I think there's probably, you know, it's been volatile. So maybe that moved down to 350, which is the moving average. I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, again, just the way the, the kind of market mood and, and the way that we've seen names get punished when they've missed and, and the way that they've been rewarded when they beat and raise, it just seems like to, to take too much of a view, uh, you know, hours before an event without a lot of conviction to me at this stage of the game doesn't make a lot of sense, but we highlight the implied moves. We highlight the technicals. We highlight the valuations just for those of you who are involved in these names and might want to take a closer look because sometimes if you, you know, you caught this thing well um, when it was down, you know, a, a bit lower a couple months ago, and you say to yourself, okay, there's a binary event coming out where the stock, the options market is implying at least a 6% move in either direction. Maybe it moves 10. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that so that's why 
we kind of highlight that. Um, guy, we haven't heard from Butters. No, where's Butters? But you, you think he's like he's in Maine or something or yeah, Michigan? He's a Boston guy, so he's probably doing something great up there. No, great in, northeast, maybe Lake Winnipesaukee in, in New, New Hampshire, Hampshire sure. or something Very like that. With it. But we're that gonna get like Butters. Butters place. We well, Butters did put an earnings insight. Well, he's putting it out tomorrow. You know where you can find it on Facts at the can. Earnings Insight blog. We're talking about the aforementioned John Butters, who is. Their head earnings insight analyst over there, he gives us a preview of that earnings insight blog that drops every Friday morning. So here we are. We talked about Q2 earnings being over. Um, our main man, Butters, does a lot of great work tracking S&P 500 earnings. Tomorrow's note, analysts increased earnings estimates for the S&P 500 companies for Q3 2023. So now we're talking about guidance mm -hmm. for the current quarter um, by point. 4% in aggregate during the first two months of the quarter, June 30th to August 31st. This marks the first aggregate increase in earnings estimates during the first two months of a quarter since Q3 2021. So lots of folks were calling for a recession late last year. Right. What we did have was an earnings recession in S&P 500. We did not have the economic recession that most people were pricing in when the S&P was down there at 3,500 or whatever the heck it was. Talk to me a little bit about the fat guy that butters, at least what he's tracking for S&P 500's Q3 guidance that came out of this earnings period is looking like we are coming out of this earnings That's recession. Right. Well, it certainly would appear that way. Now, analysts, by the way, not only if you're not long stocks or even short stocks sitting on the sideline and things are moving against you, you feel as if you're missing something you yeah. need to catch up. The same thing happens in the analyst community. If they've been behind the eight ball, if they have not been keeping up with some of these moves, if their earnings estimates are seemingly low, they will also play catch up. And I think to a certain extent, that's what we're seeing here. So that's on the analyst side of things. The company side of things, respectfully, hasn't been as bad as we thought. But that harkens back to what you talked about a few minutes ago in terms of maybe the, you know, the lag effect hasn't kicked in. It doesn't mean that it won't yeah. kick in. So clearly earnings have surprised, not because they've been so great, but because they haven't been as shitty as I think a lot of us, me, myself, and obviously yeah. thought they would be. No, I agree. And then, so here's another one. And I think this is interesting, like think about it on the sector level. So he says four sectors recorded in increase in EPS estimates led by the consumer discretionary mm -hmm. sector. Seven sectors recorded a decrease in EPS estimates led by the material sector. Analysts also increased EPS estimates for calendar year 2023 by 0.9% and uh, calendar year 2024 also by 0.9% uh, during this period. So what's interesting about the sector thing is that we know that there's a handful of sectors that are doing a lot of heavy lifting. Where we saw the increases, it's obviously in information technology and a lot of people are excited in around AI, but we're just talking about Lulu and, and Nike, and we're talking about dis consumer discretionary. And so the, the consumer doesn't quit, guy, but the consumer, it's a bit, and you've been talking about this. I think last week you talked about Dollar General. It's Dollar Tree today, right? It was or, Dollar or, Gen or, today. Uh, Dollar Gen today. It was Dollar, uh, Dollar Tree. Now, do yeah. And Dollar Gen, by the way, and I don't want to necessarily get bogged down here. This is two consecutive yeah. disastrous quarters. Yeah. But I guess more disastrous, and I know this is stuff that you think about a lot, is the thing that they are saying about their consumer. Yeah. And it's really nasty stuff over there. So it's just interesting that we highlight the fact that you know earnings increases are coming in the consumer discretionary. Now, listen, a whole host of things can happen there. That could mean, it doesn't mean that there's so much demand. It could be that they got inventories under control. There's certain inflationary in, in, inputs or less things. But you know, there's a lot of things that could cause EPS increases, but we just highlight the lower end consumer aspect versus consumer discretionary because oftentimes, and at least in our careers, consumers discretionary will follow what's going on on the lower end. Before we blow out of here, a couple things. You look at MasterCard and Visa, yeah. they suggest that transactions continue to grow. 
obviously. I mean, yep. to your point, never underestimate the consumers want to spend. The question is, should they be spending? And that's for a different time. We'll have that conversation with something I'm about to tease in a few minutes. Um, but it, it it's interesting to see how quickly consumer spending can stop if something were to happen. As long as this market hangs in there, consumers will continue to spend. Credit card debt will continue to mount. And everybody will be happy until they're not. And that's not, again, trying to be a wise guy. That's just the way it works. Yeah. No Dude, should you it. tease it? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so Guy and I, we're going to go rest our voices for a little bit. And then we're going to sit down. Our friend Danny Moses. Well, I'm going to have a, what do they call studio. these things? LaCroix or yeah, LaCroix? Yeah, you have a little French thing going there. Yeah. Well, that's why um, I brought it up. And we have Tom Lee, who's uh, a fun strat. Look at that. Uh, Guy look at that. I, we've known, look at that. We, Jacob made that. We've known Tom for a very long time. And he's had his finger on the pulse of this market all of this year we're going to talk a little bit about his bullish take he also i think last week before jackson hole he said to start st st uh, sticking your toe back yep. in the market you know the market's rallied about four percent since those levels so tom's going to give us um kind of his outlook for the balance of the year and what he's thinking for 2024 maybe some sector stuff where he's kind of most focused on so we're really looking forward to that that will drop in the podcast stores tomorrow morning so um check that out all right this was Market Call, brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, and SoFi. SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. And hopefully Liz will stop ghosting us. You know what I mean? Because that's so what uncool. the kids do on, on, on apps. If You know what I mean? Like no, the dating uncool. apps and stuff like that, they call it ghosting if you don't you know, respond. You to get to a point where you don't, I don't need, I don't get need. Get your dating life all in one app. I don't need these people. That's what she's saying. It's like, I don't need those no, guys. No, she doesn't need us. All right. This was a lot of fun. Oh, well, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting was on. Carter was on. Yeah. Seems like a day ago. Yeah. Uh, folks, obviously, appreciate the comments. Thanks for watching. I don't think we're back tomorrow. No, we're not. I know we're not back Monday because you just reminded but me. But check out our podcast it's on a the holiday. tape. Yeah, you can go into the podcast store. Drops tomorrow at your favorite that. podcast store. Yeah, and leave a review. It helps people find it. Leaving a review? Yeah. And smash the shit out of the like button. All right. Bitch. See, see, you, see you later. <laughs>